When I was, uh, several years ago, when I was serving as a pastor in another church, I was dead asleep at night, and I received a real late night phone call from another pastor at the church, and, and of course he said on the phone, like, hey, Sean, are you awake? Um, and I'm like, I am now. I didn't say that. I thought it. And then he proceeded to ask me if I'd be willing to drive over to the church and unlock the church doors because there was a man who needed to get into the church building. So, of course, you're no problem. So I drive over there, and, and I don't know how you react when you're mad. Um, I don't think I've cut too many of you off on the road or seen you with road rage, whatever. I haven't seen too many of you, but this guy was red. I mean, angry. And the reason he was angry was that he said that his wife had lost her wedding ring at church that day. And so what we were going to do was we were going to go on this epic journey to try to find the lost wedding ring. And each bathroom that we went to as we searched for this thing, he just got angrier and angrier. And I couldn't help but think about the fact that, you know, when you do a wedding ceremony, you say, like, I give this token as a symbol of my love. And here he's just got that experience that many of us have had. Somebody said after the first service, they were swimming, snorkeling, and they had their wedding ring and it just popped off and it like went to the bottom of the ocean. You know, you just have that feeling like, ah. And for some of us, it might not be a wedding ring that's so valuable. In fact, the way this guy described that ring, it sounded like it was more valuable than my home, you know. But, um, but for some of us, it may not be that. But we have things in our life that are precious to us, right? That they're valuable. If we lost them, we all know that palpitation of your heart when you just go, hey, where is it at? I don't know where, what's, where? ah, you guys know what I mean, right? And today, what we're going to talk about is the fact that God desires for us to be people who are open-handed with the things that he's blessed us with. And for that man, at that time in history, what it did was it caused great fear and anxiety and discouragement. The crazy part of that story is that some two weeks later at church, a woman comes up to me, of all people, that it'd be me, and she pulls out a ring, and she hands it to me, and she said, hey, Pastor Sean, I found this in the parking lot. Um, so I took it to a pawn shop, and we're doing really well. <laughs> so, no, um, of course not. But, uh, but can you, you know, so you just, you know, like I, I think about all of the anger and the discouragement and the, even the conflict that felt like was happening in their home over this thing. And in reality, it was just a thing, right? Just a thing. In fact, today, what we're going to talk about is we see generosity flow through the early church on behalf of other Christians who are in another part of that ancient world that needed something. We're going to see generosity be a source of great encouragement for the sake of the kingdom. We're going to see the ability to say, my stuff doesn't always have to be my blessing. And I admit that for me, uh, Allie and I, we talked about this at length this week, that I'm, I'm not naturally a generous person. Do you guys remember the first time when you were a kid and you got a paycheck and, and you started to think about your purchases? For me, it was like a Nintendo video game or something that's like, that's seven hours of work. Oh, wait, taxes. Okay, that's 10 hours of work, right? That I have to invest in order to be able to make that purchase. And I think for, for me, at times in my life, that th there's been this sense of God gave it to me and I want to keep it. <laughs> Can anybody else agree with me on that? Like that, that there's a part of us that we see generosity through a lens of our own experience and what we deserve or what we've earned. And what's fascinating to me is Jesus knew this about us. 
And he understood something so helpful for us and that he ties together our resources and our financial stuff with actually the most intimate part of our lives and that is our hearts. He says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so that, that man on that day, that very difficult day, when he was so caught up, like in a way he was sharing where the priorities of his heart we're at. And I think for, for each one of us, if we're honest, there are times where our treasure, it, it shows where the priorities are of our life. And today we're going to look at our things as a mode of worship, as an opportunity for us to give the Lord our best, to be intentional about providing back to the Lord the resources that he's provided for us. I think we can learn an awful lot when we study a moment in history that's recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. And I want to encourage you, and I want to encourage you as we study this, that we get this timeline in the, in the pathway of history that allows us to evaluate our own sense of generosity, our own provision that the Lord has provided for us. Look at, look at what chapter 16, verse 1 says. It says, Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I directed the churches of Galatia, so also you are to do. So this, this collection was an extra collection that was done. Um, we are given insight on this collection because of the book of Acts chapter 20 and the first few verses there. And in Romans 15, 26, it describes this special time of giving that was done on behalf of the churches are the churches that were in Jerusalem. And the circumstances were quite difficult for them. If you'll remember, the earliest church began in Jerusalem. And at that time, when the church grew and it was exciting, God was doing things, he was adding daily to the number of those who were being saved. They shared their resources. God was doing some great things. And what happens now is that they are realizing that they are living in the reality of a, a culture that really is established in Judaism. And so as they're trying to get jobs and, and raise their families and doing these things, Christians in, in Jerusalem found themselves in a very difficult place. I like the way that one person put it. In the city which the prosperity depended in large measure upon Jewish rites and ceremonies, Converts to Christianity would have particular difficulty in securing employment and obtaining financial support. So even though they themselves had experienced a difficult time in their history, Jesus did not forget about them. And what's so beautiful in this picture that we get to see is that there are believers in other churches now that are going to be aware of this, that some in that early church remember the stoning of Stephen, that some were widows and orphans because of the fact that there was persecution, incredible persecution that had happened in the, underneath the leadership in Jerusalem, the Jew Jewish leadership there. But what we celebrate is other believers in other places, like the Apostle Paul said, it's time for us to step up and do something about it. And here they talk about an intentional gift that was raised in order to be sent. And I love that this was not grudgingly or out of necessity. You guys know what grudging and out of necessity type giving is. You know when you're a kid 
and you have that favorite toy that is precious to you and your mom or dad say to you, you need to share it with your sister or brother. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like you, you like almost don't even want to let it go, right? When they take that precious toy or um, we know what it means to be manipulated into giving. If you've ever, anybody done a timeshare before, uh, you know, you know, the timeshare presentation is built around the process of manipulation. This is not that. Romans 15, 26 describes it this way. It says, the states that Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. This was a gift. This is an opportunity, but it came at a sacrifice. So there was a willingness to let go of things that could have been used for their own benefit. I'll remind you, they made less in those days than what we do, and they had less access to resources, and yet they gave sacrificially. So here they do so with a sense of pleasure and a desire to be a blessing. You know, there's many blessings in our life when we're intentional about being generous, I want to challenge you, first point this morning that's going to come from the text is that we are called to be people who love generously. I think that this is a hard thing for us to do. I, I think it's partially because we are people who are hardworking. We recognize the value of our own labor. In fact, I'm going to challenge you in a, in a really specific way. I want, to, I want to do a test for you. And then as I want you to remember, I want you to imagine that you're just wrapping up the hardest day's work that you've had in a long time and you're driving down the road and you see this uh, on the corner of the street, okay? So when you see this, what is it that comes across your mind first? And I want you to meditate on this. So what is it that I really think? I'll admit, I'll speak for it. None of you are evil like me on this, but sometimes, just sometimes I think, man, I wonder what they did to deserve that. There's other times when I'll look at that and I'll say, oh yeah, I remember reading that Reader's Digest article that said that all these panhandlers, they live in mansions and they come out and they look the part. You guys read that article too? A few of you did? That, that there's a part of you that questions, well, what is it that they're suffering from that puts them in this position? And, and at times, I even think about the fact that I have worked hard to deserve what I have. And so why do they deserve something from me? I say that as a form of confession. And I want to challenge you to think about how Jesus would see this scene. So if we take ourselves and put ourselves in Christ's shoes when he sees, did you see the boys that are in the corner? Do, do you look and notice the fact that, that there's a camouflage blanket wrapped around? One of the things I love about my Lord is that he says that he knows the numbers of the hairs on our head. Some of us have more than others, right? Uh, he knows the numbers of the hairs on our head. He knows us perfectly. He knows this woman's name. He knows these boys' names. He knows their story. And when we used to live in Los Angeles and we did work in Skid Row with homeless around us, it, it, like I think for some of us when we see homelessness, we just knee-jerk react to maybe the government's failing or something. Actually, one of the things that we learned is that these are people who have a story, some of them precious, some of them immigrants, some of them suffering from mental health, some of them just experiencing the pain of life. Some people, I remember interacting with a medical doctor who was on the street, streets of Los Angeles and his story was devastating. Some people who've suffered and yet they have a name and a story and they're people. And for some of us, we only see the sign that has a threat to our financial well-being maybe, or they don't deserve this. But, 
But what's amazing about the God that I serve is that he knows their name. And you see these two boys. He knows these two boys. These two boys were created in his image. And I think about that simple truth. And when we were in Los Angeles, one of the things that we had the privilege of doing, uh, there was this book that was meaningful. It's called Under the Overpass. And uh, the author just talks about in homelessness reality, often the thing that you'll hear people say is they just want someone to notice them. And so we just decided we're going to try to notice people and listen to their story and get to know them. And over the years that we did that kind of ministry, we started to notice the truth that there are hundreds of kids that are on the streets that are in the background of painful stories of parents. And so we got in the habit of taking a busload of kids from Skid Row to a park nearby and just played. We had so much. We bought Happy Meals. Isn't that cool? And for some of those kids, uh, that was the first Happy Meal that they'd ever had before. Um, but I tell this story not to prop me up, but to just say these people are precious. But inside of each one of us, I think we have this protection valve that we have that says, wait, wait a second, they, what, what about me? How does this empower? What's wrong with, ah. And I think that there's something that the Lord wants to teach us. And we're going to see it by the example of the church in Corinth that God was using the Apostle Paul to challenge them in. And that is, God wants us to be people who are generous. That we see others as precious. Uh, that we see others as image bearers of the living God. And even their circumstances to be willing to allow their circumstances to become a part of our circumstances. In fact, when we love others like we love ourselves, as Jesus taught us to, we practice the golden rule and we do unto others as we would have them do unto us. We see others' needs as something that we have the privilege of participating in. It's why last week I mentioned about being intentional about us giving towards the work that God's doing for individuals that are fleeing from the conflict in, in Ukraine. Um, the things that our, our church denomination is doing to be intentional about caring for those who are tragically suffering these days. And it's why we pray diligently and deliberately for things that are happening on the other side of the world that seem distant and far, and yet we recognize that their needs can become our needs. So there's a part of this kind of giving that God wants for us to give, and I tie it to love, and to say that we love generously because of the fact that he first loved us, because we're, we've been blessed in mighty ways, and we, at times, need to love sacrificially. Um, I think we all had this experience when we were kids growing up that, that we had a parent that looked at us and when we were sitting at that plate with our green beans or Brussels sprouts or whatever it is, that a parent looked at us and they said, hey, eat your vegetables because there's a kid that's starving and fill in the blank, right? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? And I remember thinking, how is me not eating my vegetables helping the kid in that other country, right? I'd be happy to pack these up and send them off for the kid in that other country. You, you guys get it, right? There's, there's unsacrificial giving that is a part of our life. Somebody left us. This cracked me up this morning as I was driving in. Um, very um, randomly left a Christmas tree in the church's um, like front yard of the offices. Um, but it was like February, right? So, um, so what they decided that we needed was a half-dead Christmas tree. It's unthoughtful, right? It's not a gift. Um, it's a leftover. It's it's something that is unsacrificial. It's just something that's discarded. I think we are called, brothers and sisters, to be people who give intentionally and generously. 
uh, verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 16 says this. It says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So Paul's very, being very specific about this trip that he's going to take to Jerusalem to, uh, with accountability, with people with him to share this gift to those in Jerusalem that were suffering. Uh, I find it to be quite fascinating. I mentioned Stephen earlier. Here, the Apostle Paul, who was a part of the persecution of Christianity before he became a Christ follower, is now in the process of generously reaching the needs of those who are suffering in the very place where he, cared, where he persecuted Christians. It's an amazing full circle experience. But here he gives us a tangible way for us to give intentionally. I want you to notice this. So he's not saying um, give as you feel led or be um, passive about the process of giving. He's actually saying be precise and diligent and deliberate about how you give. He says this, on the first day of every week, ironically in scripture, this is the first time that we have mention of Sunday as a day of gathering. So here on the first day of every week, each of you, this is everyone, rich, poor, uh, isn't, isn't one of those qualifiers that we like to, like someday when I'm rich enough, then I'll be generous, right? Someday when I have enough, then I'll be someone who's willing to invest. He's actually saying each of you. So on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside. I translate that as being intentional and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. I think that this is really significant here because he's describing an extra gift. This is above and beyond the normal giving of supporting the church in Corinth. That that we knew in Corinth that that church had wealthy people and had very poor people, that it was a church like every church you've been in that was made up of people like you and I. And he encourages them to give in an extra way to bless those who are suffering in, um, in Jerusalem. But one of the things that Ali and I found when we had the privilege of living in the Bahamas in another culture, in another, um, in another country, uh, one of the things that we started to notice is that Bahamians historically make about half as much money as what, what people in similar jobs would make in the U.S. Uh, we also found when we lived there that the cost of living was at least twice as much as it cost to live in the States. And so we learned that very quickly. We saw it almost everywhere where we lived and interacted with all our friends there. But what was incredible for us being in that culture is that historically Bahamians were incredibly generous with their resource. They were sacrificial. They gave um, some of them, some of the poorest of the poor would give in ways that were incredibly generous. And they had an open mindset about the resources that they had. So in this text, when it says, as he may prosper, this is not a hard and fast, here's your rule of if you give this much, then God will be honored. But instead it's saying, as the Lord has blessed you, you give sacrificially and accordingly. The Lord Jesus taught his disciples an interesting version of this in Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Listen to this. He's watching people give in a ceremonial way. And he says this, and he sat down opposite the treasury and he watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. 
And a poor widow came and put in two, I always read this story, like how do they know how much people are giving? You know, it's like accidentally let the check be seen, how much money, how like did it rattle, you know, when you walk up to give. And so, so you know how much. And he, so he says, and a poor widow came and she put in two small copper coins. This would represent about a day's wages. And he called his disciples to him and he said, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything that she had, all that she had to live on. And, and, and for some reason, when we do that, at times, the Lord is glorified. He's honored in, in giving sacrificially. We know that some people give out of their wealth and some people give out of their poverty. I love the story of the young man that uh, had to leave his home because they were suffering so much financially about age 16, went to New York City, started working in a soap factory, ended up uh, being promoted in the company, became a co-owner in this soap company, ended up becoming the owner of the factory. And in some of us uh, this morning, uh, we probably brushed our teeth with a product connected to his last name. His last name was Colgate. And um, one of the stories, if you go to Wikipedia, it's kind of cool. Like on the Wikipedia page, it talks about him as a young man when he had no money committing to giving sacrificially to the Lord. Like it was a priority for him. And over time, as his proceeds and profits grew, instead of keeping it that percentage that he started off with, it just became exponentially more. He just wanted to give sacrificially. And, and I find it to be so encouraging to see here is a man who chose to, that we know the name of his family, um, William Colgate, um, that would ultimately be someone who um, expanded and experienced the blessing of his life partially, I think, because of his generosity. I think we often think of giving as meeting our own needs or the resources that we have to address people who are close by. And I find it fascinating that this case in Jerusalem was one that was distant. These people would not know necessarily who the givers were, but it doesn't mean that giving isn't important. Uh, I love the way that it's described in Romans 15, 27. It says, for they were pleased to do it and indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. They considered it a privilege to partner with them in their suffering. And so uh, Paul modeled this for us. In verse 3, he goes on to say of chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, he says, And when I arrive, I will send those whom you, have, uh, you credit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So here he describes this pathway of accountability and care for these resources and the blessing that would happen. And here God uses this sacrificial gift to bless the church in Jerusalem. I, I think it's important for us to remember, you know, the story of the Good Samaritan, that that it's easy for us to be, I'm always, I always feel that pain of that story because it was two originally religious leaders that ignored the need of the man that suffered, um, but then it would ultimately be a man who generously served him, made provision for his, his comfort and his health, and then 
Um, also signed at the bottom line, whatever expenses that he has, I'm willing to do it. Not because it was his own benefit, to his own benefit, but it was to the benefit of that man. And it leads us to the second point this morning, and that is our generosity can really lead to some incredible results in our life. There's some wonderful benefits to generosity. Uh, we have some friends of ours um, that we met in seminary that uh, shared with us, they'd be, they'd be embarrassed if we told you this story, but I'm going to tell it anyways. Uh, and it was uh, when, when they, um, their first church that they served at, um, there was a, a campaign, a building project that um, they had been invited to participate in. And, and he and his wife had decided, they prayed about it, and uh, they decided that they were going to give a substantial amount of money to contribute to this building pro- process. And um, and then right after that, one of them lost their job and they went through a really financially difficult time. And so they talked to each other and they discussed it and they were like, well, maybe God wasn't planning on us or did we really hear his voice correctly? Like he wanted us to give this amount or, and they both realized, like they just really felt like this was what God wanted them to do. And so for the next, uh, I think it was over a year and a half time period, they really lived um, as sparingly, as, as cautiously as they could. They ate beans and rice for a lot of their meals. They didn't eat out. They, um, they, they were just committed to this goal. And in fact, they made it to the end of that process, the last check that they wrote. And there was just this sense of relief. And just a few weeks later than that, uh, they received a letter in the mail. And in that letter, it was from the IRS. Um, they got audited. Can you believe that? It wasn't what you expected me to say, was it? They, they were audited because even the government was shocked as to how generous they were with the amount of income that they had. There wasn't this massive gift. Brothers and sisters, let me just remind you, our God is not a vending machine. You know that? He, he doesn't just bless us with this assumption of us receiving back. From, you, you guys know, when we lived in California, we lived pretty close to driving distance from Vegas. I wish I had a dollar for every time I had somebody who said to me, hey, Pastor Sean, we're going to Vegas. And uh, uh, if we win big, we're going to give to the church. <laughs> You're like, oh, great. Okay, great. So, so, so what you're implying when you say that is I'm supposed to pray and God's in heaven, um, you know, watching the roulette ball go around and he's like, oh, oh I hope they win, uh, you know, so that they can give their 10% or whatever it is to, because God needs our resources so much. Isn't it messed up? You guys understand why that's so messed up, right? It does not represent what God desires of us is, first of all, he wants us to see everything that we have. And I'll just say this about Hope Church, the property that we sit on, our history. is Everything about Hope Church is on loan. You know that, right? That everything, I don't mean that we have a mortgage. I just mean that it's all the Lord's, right? And, and he can do with it whatever he wants. And, and so these people in Corinth who sacrificed were participating intentionally in doing what God was doing to bring himself glory and honor. Someone has said this wisely, that when we are open-handed about our possessions, they no longer possess us. You understand that? And so for each of us, we can look at our history. I don't know what your diamond ring version is of that story, but we can look at things in our life that would be so hard. And even as we watch the images of people fleeing in Ukraine, you know, carrying what they have in bags and just, it's so hard to watch that pan out. And you imagine how little value your resources have in the times of great 
conflict and crisis. And you have to depend on the needs of, or blessings of other people. But, but for those of us who've been blessed, for those of us who have, I think that the Lord wants us to be people who are naturally generous with what we've received. Here, the early church modeled that for us. They showed us some of those benefits. It's the way that our possessions don't possess us. Uh, I also want you to catch that this is a form of worship that we give to the Lord. We, uh, in our prayer time, for those of you who are able to join us a couple of weeks ago, we studied um, a beautiful passage of scripture, Matthew 25, 35 through 40, that, uh, where, where God talks to us about worshiping him through giving and blessing the least of these in his creation. And, and he says to his people, you blessed me when you gave me a cup of water. You blessed me when you cared for my needs. You blessed me. And the people say, when did we do that? And then he reminds them it was when he did this for the least of his people. And so we experience this kind of worship through giving that actually says that we don't worship the things that we possess. I think it's also important to remember that we can be a tangible representation of God's love to other people. We can share in the burdens of life together. There's blessings that God has given us and his intention is for us to bless others in that process. I think that this idea of our pocketbook and how we see our possessions is something the Lord is comfortable with us understanding and being challenged in. For some of you, you're like, why is Sean talking about this? Well, I'll just remind you that one-sixth of the Gospels and one-third of the parables address the subject of stewardship. Jesus dealt with money matters. He talked about money, and it surprised maybe maybe some of us that Jesus cared about it so much. But I think the Bible has so much to say about this subject because he understands that it, is, it has a potential for us to allow it to be a lowercase g God in our life. So we, we get to be generous. We get to understand the antidote to that kind of worship of our things through being people who give lavishly, just like they did so many years before. I just want to catch one last point. It's a little off topic, but I find it to be really interesting. I think we live in, in a relationally deprived time period in history, almost anemic in relationships. And part of that's COVID, part of it's the way our life has been lived over these last few years. But I think we are reminded, some of us, that we need relationships more than ever. And for some of us, we've wrestled with how to build healthy relationships, how to deepen our relationships. And uh, I long for that in my own life. And I, I'm going to go through a series with you, Lord willing, in a couple of months where we talk about that. And we can get better at the thing that is most precious to the Lord, and that is his people and how we connect with his people. Um, but I want you to just see a lesson from the Apostle Paul. This is kind of free here, but it's thrown in, and I just find it to be really interesting that we're called to be generous as well with our time, not just our resources. Verse 5 says this, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you even to spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to just see you now, just in passing, but I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. Um, I, I want you to just see in that, that what the Apostle Paul was saying was, I don't want to just come in, grab the bag of money and leave. <laughs> I, I, I want it to be more than that. Uh, you are valuable to me. 
that your, uh, our story, and, and I'll just remind you, the people who wrote this, he wrote this to, some of them don't like him at this time. Some of them are angry with him. They're frustrated with him. There's broken relationship with some of them. And yet the Apostle Paul says, I want to come in and be a part of your life. And I want you to be a part of my life. I think it's interesting when you put it in the context of investment that we need to be people who invest our time for the benefit of others. Some have said that their, their pastime is people. And, and I want to I be that kind of person in my life. I think time is more precious than our things. I think time is the most precious gift that we can give. And I absolutely believe that time together is one of the the most, m- most uh, essential components of real relationships. Do you guys agree with me on that? And you understand? And when I say that we're anemic in this area, some of that is that we, um, we recognize that we desperately need to depend on one another to be known and to know others. So I want to make this uh, message not just an intellectual exercise, but one that leads to change in our life appropriately. And so I have a few questions for you. They're going to be personal, I'll just warn you. Um, But I, I want us to work on this. So what excuses might you use in your life to avoid generosity? I shared with you some of mine. Uh, I was vulnerable with you. Would you consider your own, uh, what you use to avoid generosity in your life? The second question is, what does giving intentionally look like for you? Uh, It's fascinating that he gave that qualifier to us of, and according to your blessing, how much you've been blessed. And uh, I want to encourage you to consider what that looks like. And when we talk about relationships, because we believe that time is so essential to, to relationships, what are, what are you willing to give up in order to invest time in meaningful relationships? I think that's really, really important. So, so we've talked about it uh, in different ways that God expects of us or asks of us, not grudgingly or out of necessity, but cheerfully to give um, sacrificially to others that are suffering and to also give to his people to, to bless them. I want to ask you to consider in your own life, what are maybe some of those things that are like that diamond ring that um, needs to be held on to in your life, that you feel that pressure? And I want to just encourage you to consider what it might mean for you to be open-handed about that thing. Uh, I don't know what that is. I don't know how that works in your life, but I'm going to ask you, I'm going to challenge you to think about it that way. I, um, I, I heard a sermon one time that it stuck with me that um, the, there was a man who just said his goal in life is to be so generous in his life that uh, by the time he dies, that the last check that he writes bounces. Isn't that funny? Uh, I think that's a funny, funny statement. Some of you have commented on this. I mentioned this about, um, actually many of you have commented on this because I think it's powerful is uh, when Pastor Donald Schaefer um, was in his last days, uh, one of the pastors that was a part of the founding of Hope Church, his son was a particularly part of the founding of Hope Church, that in his last days, uh, he sat down with his son, Jonathan, and he said, Jonathan, I'm, I'm afraid that, um, that we've saved too much. And, and, and Jonathan asked him what he meant, and he said, I'm afraid that we've kept some of the resources that the Lord's given us too, too close and instead, the intention is that we wanted to be people who are generous in every step of our life, to be generous. So uh, I'm moved by that. That's convicting for me. Uh, I don't know your story. I don't pretend to, to pry into that. But I want to ask you to consider in your own life what it means for you to be generous. I'll also remind you 
uh, with uh, as a part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance that uh, there are churches that are currently in the Ukraine that we are um, excited about trying to help ministers there that are serving those who are trying to help to address the needs of refugees. And I'll encourage you to go to cmalliance.org. Um, be careful how you type that in. I think I got it wrong last week, but um, check that out. And there's a giving page with our comma services that's intended to uh, be a tangible way that we can put this in practice. Uh, but we also recognize that there's needs around the world. We continue to ask that the Lord would give us wisdom to know how to give selflessly and lavishly uh, and cheerfully. I think that's what he's asking of each one of us. So let's pray together. Father God, we love you and we thank you for this morning. And I thank you for your ability to teach us what it means to be people who are generous. I thank you that um, the Lord Jesus modeled this for us. Um, that he, um, he gave of his life for us. And so would we allow ourselves to uh, be people who are generous? Would you teach us how to love those that we don't know how to love? Would we care for others' needs as more important than our own? And would you teach us how to prioritize uh, relationships and the investment of time that they require? We love you. We thank you for this morning. I thank you for your generosity to each of us, the provision that you've made on our behalf. And um, we're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because we believe that it is the power of God unto salvation. We love you. We thank you for this morning. And all God's people said, amen. amen.